Well, good morning and welcome to uh, Sunday School class at Faith Baptist Church. Um, we're actually finishing a series through um, a course seminar provided by Capitol Hill that focuses on the unity of the church. And this last class brings us to evangelism, um, a harvest of unity. <clears throat> Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, we give you thanks for your kindness toward us. We thank you for the opportunity to um, give ourselves to the teaching of your word and the scriptures. And I pray that you would continue to um, sanctify your people through this means, that we would um, make the best use of the time, uh, that we would be studying the word, uh, reading the word, <clears throat> praying the word, and just uh, taking um, taking advantage of the uh, platforms, the means we have in order to um, engage the scriptures. Lord, please give me clarity uh, and insight as I teach, and may you be pleased to use this time for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so Christians today often see evangelism as a hundred percent the job of the church or a hundred percent their own job on the other hand we think of evangelism as getting people to come to church and then we structure church around the needs and interests of those non-christians on the other we might think that church has nothing to do with evangelism swinging too far in that other direction so evangelism and evangelism training become the responsibility of parachurch ministries. Now, there's a problem with that first model. The church is not in its essence only about outreach. It's actually a community of Christians, of believers, and it's designed to model the character of God to a watching world if we turn Sunday morning <clears throat> into an apologetic lecture series, we wind up failing to grow and mature the church, which itself stifles evangelism. But the second model is not really much better because the church is one of God's primary tools for evangelism. If you think of Peter's description of the church in 1 Peter 2.9, he describes the people of God as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And what is the purpose of God's people? Peter goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus says in John 13, 35, that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. <clears throat> this is a love that is among Christians, but that speaks powerfully to those who are not Christians. And Peter saw this in action. We read in Acts 2, uh, verse 44 and 47, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. In verse 47, 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So these early Christians had a life together that became a display of love. And God uses this witness to draw people to himself. As Christians, we're called to live our life together in such a way that the world would see the power of the gospel. So Christians, not just individuals, but as God's people bound together in churches, are the clearest picture that the world sees of who God is. One of the most colorful early church scholars was Tertullian, a North African who lived from around 160 to 225 AD. Tertullian wrote his famous work, Apology to Roman Magistrates, to defend Christians against these slanderous charges. And in it, he told or he noted the unity of the Christians by saying this. We are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession, by unity of discipline and by the bond of common hope. He then noted the impact that the love of the church had on unbelievers around them. He says, but it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. A clear and visible congregational love in a loveless world is not easy for people to ignore. By walking in a manner worthy of our calling as a distinct community, as Ephesians 4.1 says, the church accomplishes the important mission of displaying the transforming effects of the gospel for the world to see. And that's really our topic for today, a display of God's goodness through our corporate witness. So this morning, we'll begin by first looking at the unique power of congregational witness, and then we'll consider how we can apply that to our life as a church. And finally, we'll end our time this morning with some thoughts on our life together in this church. So Roman numeral two, the unique power of congregational witness. The unique power of congregational witness. How can our life together empower evangelism? We saw from those passages a few minutes ago that our inward unity and love provides outward witness to God's power through the gospel. But practically, how does that happen? Let's consider five ways. First, the display of unity among Christians is a powerful witness. A congregational witness enables believers to see evidence of God's power that they just can't see in our lives as individuals. If you think of John 17, 20 to 23, hear what Jesus says. Do not ask for these, or he says rather, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved me, even as, I'm sorry, loved them, even as you loved me. <clears throat> so our unity in the gospel testifies to Christ and his love for his people. The impact of our relationships with others in this church extends beyond just our flock groups. Actually, it says something to people about Christ in our city. The second point here is that the display of love among Christians is a powerful witness. The display of love among Christians is a powerful witness. Second, related to this idea of unity is the power of a congregational witness through Christians' love for each other. What marks us out as Christians in the eyes of the world, more than sound doctrine, more than passion and worship, is our love. This love is often manifested in good deeds. So in Matthew 5:16, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 2.12. He says, Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that they may speak, so that, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So according to Jesus, the good deeds of his disciples are the window through which the world comes to see the glory of God. And we're thinking about the context of the local church here. So what would that look like for us? Here's where these passages are so different than our think, natural inclination. The witness Jesus has in mind isn't our love for the world, but it's actually our love for the church. If we love each other well, and the world sees that love, that is deeply compelling to them, I think. So should we love the world? Of course we should love the world. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. But it is love for each other that Jesus says will mark us out in this world. Third, as a Christian, we help each other witness. We help each other witness. Another great advantage of evangelism in the context of a congregation is that we help each other witness. In this way, our evangelism as a church is more powerful because many members with different gifts and different opportunities to use those gifts are involved in witnessing to unbelievers. And when you talk with people who have become Christians through the ministry of the church, you'll find that while an initial contact was made maybe by one person, what happened wasn't so much just one-on-one, -on -one, but a group evangelism. More often than not, that's the case. <clears throat> now, there are many relationships in which you alone can make that initial contact. So don't remove yourself from the responsibility of sharing the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But what happens from there can follow many different paths as we help each other witness as a church. Four, 
A corporate witness glorifies God in a unique way. God is uniquely glorified when we bear witness to him together. So an assembly of believers can give glory to God with greater volume, maybe, and variety than an individual can. So let's say that you are out to dinner with a group of Christians from the church, and there are a couple of unbelievers in, in that group at dinner with you. An opportunity comes up for you to start talking about how you became a Christian. So one person talks about how God used a hard time in their life to draw them to Christ. Another person talks about being raised in a Christian home or whatnot. God is glorified by this type of sort of congregational witness because it testifies to the manifold ways that he extends saving grace to various people. And it presents to the non-believer a richer picture of how, of how God works in the world in a way that's different than simply talking to you alone. So that they get sort of this corporate witness, um, multiple people attesting to the goodness of God together, which is good for them to hear and see. Five, Christians work together through the church for global missions. Christians work together through the church for global missions. So we're thinking about the unique power of the congregational witness, okay? The last way churches are involved corporately in evangelism uh, is in churches planting locally and churches planting around the world. So God providentially works in various congregations by giving them different capacities of wisdom, different experience, different financial support, prayers, callings, and he directs those resources to making his name great in a broader community among the nations around the world. Um, every church isn't given the same capacity of resources um, or abilities or financial support, uh, but God works uh, in various ways in various churches as they um, are have an eye to um, and a mind for um, discipleship, which primarily happens in the local church, and um, even um, raising up men to plant churches in various areas, right? That's how the, the, the witness um, of God's glory is spread, or at least one of those ways. Now, if you look at Roman numeral number three, uh, on your handout there, it says application, congregational witness. So there are all sorts of ways that our witness is amplified as a congregation. So how do we do that? How can we be good stewards of this blessing of unity and love that God has given us in the church to reach others with the gospel? Well, we should consider exposing non-Christians to our life as a church. Have you thought about that? How you can expose non-Christians to your life as a church. First, for our love and unity to be visible and real to non-Christians, we should expose them to our life, our living as a people of God in the church. The most natural place to start 
is in our regular assemblies where non-Christians might be attending. So here are some questions that we could maybe think about when it comes to our regular gatherings. What would non-Christians see on a Sunday morning is a question. Do they see Christians that have an evident love and care for one another? Do they see church members who are quick to greet them and express an interest in how they are? Do they see members inviting them to lunch after service where they can get to know them and interact with them? One thing I've heard over and over about our congregation specifically is how friendly and welcoming we are to visitors, which is encouraging. I've mentioned that before in past classes. That's a good thing. That's great. And we should continue to do that. But of course, there's always room for us to get better at that. So here are a few thoughts to, to help us in that direction. Continue to welcome people. Make a point to talk with people you don't know after the service. Engage them. Be intentional about that. Invite and include people. Show hospitality to non-Christian friends and church members at the same time. Let your unbelieving friends and family sort of peek into your relationship with the church. That is a great witness as well. Um, another thing to consider is be strategic. Flock groups, prayer meetings, uh, a friend's wedding ceremony, Expose non-Christians to the everyday life of the congregation. And then lastly, just a thought, use church ministries. We're not super programmatic here, but there are some outreach ministries that are formally organized that you can plug into. From evangelizing our local neighborhood to the abortion clinic, which is led by a couple guys that went out to UCF. Um, so... Pray and plug into those opportunities, okay? Next, let's think through um, how we talk to non-Christians about our life in the church. How do we talk to non-Christians about our life in the church? Often, it's not possible for us to introduce our friends and coworkers to other church members or to our life in the church. Maybe schedules conflict or they just don't want to, they don't care to. Well, people naturally talk about things that they care about, right? So as Christians, that means that a lot of what we'll want to talk about is our triune God and the church. So look for ways to talk about activities and ministries of the church that you're involved in or that your church participates in. Or maybe you heard a sermon recently that raised a specific issue that you know that friend or coworker is struggling with or might be interested in sort of discussing and talking through. It could be as simple as asking your coworker on a Monday morning about his or her weekend. That's a great way to get to know more about them. And what do they naturally do? They wanna ask you about your weekend, right? And when that happens, you have this opportunity now to talk about your church. And when that does happen, what do you say? Maybe you say, I went to church, or I had a great weekend, 
And you could say that, and that could be true, but I'm thinking we should take advantage of those opportunities to talk about what church is like. Why do you care about those people at your church so much? How do they show their, their love for you? This is a great opportunity when we can pause and actually be, uh, be honest with people and tell them, sure, you had a great weekend, but you can almost uh, talk to them as you would talk to uh, another brother and sister who asks you, how was your weekend? You probably first go to uh, the Lord's Day and the blessing of the preached word and the singing and the prayers and the fellowship, uh, the flock group. That's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Now, you, you may not talk in the exact same way, using the exact same language with an unbeliever, because some of that they, they just may not understand. But you can generally talk about those things that happened on your weekend and on the Lord's Day in a way that sort of brings them in to that experience with you. It's, it sort of gives them a peek into your life as a Christian. We often, you know, naturally say, I had a great weekend, but we can, I think, take advantage of that opportunity and tell them about <laughs> the triune God. Uh, tell them about his goodness. Tell them about the sermon. Tell them about the conversation you had, a certain uh, hymn that we may have sang where the words really set out to you. Um, even if they don't fully grasp those spiritual things, um, holding it out before them, I think, is a great opportunity and could be a great witness because you never know how the Lord could use that. You know, in a conversation maybe later on or, or then and there. Okay. So moving forward, Roman numeral number four, life together in the church. So Ephesians 3.10 says his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. As we consider our responsibility in this area, we can take comfort in the knowledge that not even the gates of hell will prevail against Christ's church. Why? Because its mission is to display before all the heavenly hosts the wisdom of God. God in his wisdom has left the task of displaying the glory of his perfect character to his church made up of imperfect people. We talked about that at the beginning of the class. God using sinners and imperfect people to display his wisdom and his glory. The question of how that can happen has been the focus of this specific class. And specifically, our goal has been to understand the opportunities and responsibilities that we as, a church, that we as church members have to contribute toward that end. We saw that our unity together as Christians in the local church is a testimony of the gospel to the watching world. Just as God's manifold wisdom is displayed in the early church through Gentiles and Jews coming together as members of one body, it's displayed in our church today when people of different backgrounds and uh, ethnicities so unite in the body of Christ, which displays his glory. 
And what makes it such a display of God's glory is that our unity is not just a unity in anything. You know, people can unify even sincerely over many different things. But our unity is a unity in the gospel. It's distinct in that way. It's set apart in that way. This unity is so countercultural, it can only have come by the hand of God. And this unity is our responsibility as church members. It's the church together that has been gifted by the Spirit. It's the church together who is called to be completely humble and gentle, keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, maintaining the unity that's created by the Spirit in regenerating believers. He's given us the task, the grace, the ability to maintain this unity and the bond of peace. So how can we exercise our responsibility to preserve unity within the church? This has been the topic of our discussion for the last 13 weeks. So let's just highlight two points as a summary of our time together. We preserve gospel unity. <clears throat> Rather, we preserve the gospel message. First, preserve unity by preserving the gospel message that creates it. Whether we are in this church or in another church, we should always make sure that the teaching and preaching is true to scripture. There is always the threat of error or false teaching in the church and a steady diet of expositional preaching along with expositional listening will help the church to stay theologically pure. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Next, let's think through our love for each other. Second, our unity is furthered by sincere love for one another. And the way that God has loved us through Christ, we should therefore love others. We read about this love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, where it says, Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, brothers and sisters, we ought to love like this. Love those who are different from you. Love through your service and your prayers and your encouragement and your admonishment. Love through your patience and forbearance and your humility. Love by discipling and teaching others. Love by being present in the life of the church. Love by using your spiritual gifts to build up the church. Love by being kind and compassionate, warm and generous towards each other. Love like that is, it's unique, it's different, it's distinct, and it's a great witness to the gospel. 
Love like this promotes unity and it strengthens the body. And most importantly, it displays the glory of our triune God. Our lives in the church are part of God's eternal plan to display his glory, not just to this world, but to all heaven. Human history began in a garden with the fellowship of a husband and a wife. It will culminate, as we see in the book of Revelation, as a city and eternal society of light in which God himself is personally present. Today, the local church is a shining and glowing picture of that coming reality. This is our calling and the hard and dirty work of crossing society's boundaries to love each other in this church. And we do this in thanksgiving to God, praising God, that as he does this, he is bringing us to that end in himself, that end where we have perfect unity and love that's not hindered by sin and selfishness and pride, but it is a perfect love. And we long for that day. It's, it's Maranatha, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the Lord has promised, has covenanted himself to bring us to that end. So in God's power, let us walk worthy of our calling as we read in Ephesians chapter four, two to three, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have covenanted yourself to save a people and to bring them to the end of perfect unity and communion, unhindered communion with you. Lord, we pray that you will continue to sanctify our local church, Faith Baptist Church. Give us a great desire for the glory of the triune God. Grant us to be humble and loving, sincere and honest. And I pray that you would continue to glorify yourself in the midst of our weaknesses as we strive in this area. But let our confidence be that our God is unchanging and he has promised to bring us to this end. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you and we thank you. May you bless us now for the remainder of our Lord's day. In Christ's name, amen.